0: Hey everybody, this is Rob, National Fire Radio, very excited tonight. I'm here with Heather and our special guests, Beth and David Woodward from One Warrior and also Revolutionary Fire Tactics of the Lake, Lake of the Ozarks, uh, Missouri. So this is gonna be a good podcast. I'm excited to have you guys on the show, so welcome. Thank hey. you.
1: Thanks for having us.
0: Yeah, no, I'm, this has been a very exciting thing. I know Heather and I talked briefly about the conference and, and, and kind of how this all started and whatnot. But, um, like, why don't we kind of jump into you guys a little bit and, like, give us, like, the the quick uh, Reader's Digest version of how you guys are here and, and like, yeah, how we got here today.
1: Okay. Um, So, uh, (laughs) this is kind of fun because we – this has been a really interesting journey the last few years. So, this all started – you know, several years ago now, where um, we wanted to improve training. That's something I wanted to do. Something we would talk a lot about about how uh, we needed to kind of transform or revolutionize stuff. <laughs> like the just the uh, the uh, spoon-fed training wasn't working. And I had went down to Florida and I'd taken uh, the water on the fire, the like the first water on the fire conference with Kurt Isaacson. And I came back and I was like, man, that is like. Just the things he was speaking, it's like, that, that's what we need. We need to do that up here. We need to figure out how to bring him up here. So I reached out to Chief Isaacson and said, hey, let's, let's bring you up. How do we do that? And he did it, and we just kind of rolled with it. And uh, Lake Area Firefighters helped us out uh, get rolling. And then my wife's like, hey, you know what you should do is you should have your friend, Craig Haig, do like a chief officer development class with that. And I was like, okay. And from there, we just kind of started talking about what can this, what could this look like? What could this be? And then uh, Justin Mann had reached out and David Mellon had reached out and we were like, okay, we've got us, ourselves a conference going and uh, o- the O'Byrne Fire Ground Training guys and the Let's guys, uh, local emergency training specialists reached out. They said, we'd like to come help too. Next thing you know, we've, we've got a conference going on that first year. And we've just been, you know, growing and learning,
0: kind of ever since. And and I think one of the cool things that I even like, you guys realized there was something lacking in the training. You talked about like that can training and stuff like that it was cookie cutter. But what I what I just picked up in this, and and we've talked about this a lot, but there were other people who were willing to step forward and help out and volunteered to help out. So I would have to think that they in their like subconscious were like, yeah, like we believe what you believe and we want to participate to make it better.
1: Absolutely. And you know, there's a lot of folks out there that believe the same thing, like they, they think the same, mm-hmm. they see the same problems. Um, we just kind of finally just kind of had the courage to step out there and start going with it. And folks were like, Yeah, we wanna come with you. And um, you know there was a lot of mutual benefit there um, for everybody around, but you know we, we it was kind of that we kind of broke that barrier as far as it's we can do this, you know we, we we can do this and we can make this better instead of waiting for someone else to do it, we can do it.
0: That's that, that's pretty amazing. And when when what was the first year of the conference?
1: Two thousand. What year is this? 2021. Um, So. 17. 18. 18, 18,
2: 19,
1: 20, 21. So yeah, 18, 2018. You think I'd have that like right off the top of my (laughs) head, but it's like weird. It's this, this time has just been incredible the last few years.
2: We've seen some pretty amazing growth and it's really cool to see all the firefighters who believe in what we're doing and it's not about us, but it's just about people being hungry for training and we wanna get good training and usable training and stuff that is um, evidence-based and science-based and it's, it's the best that's out there today. And it's great to see all these people so hungry for it. And without those people, we wouldn't be doing what we're doing without people coming and saying yes I want to learn I want to get my hands on I want to do please like please keep doing this you know we want to support you we wouldn't be able to do it and so it's it's those folks who realized the same type of dream that we did and have been so great in coming to the conference and supporting the conference and um and just our mission which is really to help just put the training out there and make it available and affordable so folks that maybe couldn't travel as far of a distance or don't have a huge budget this is very realistic for them um the price we've tried to keep it really affordable and and accessible so that it's not just departments with a lot of money that can Um, send folks it's it's some guy who's on a volunteer department who has to pay his own way but he realizes the investment or she realizes the investment in themselves and they know that it's worth it and we feel good about keeping it affordable and the quality high Um, and we've got great people that support us as far as folks that attend we've got great sponsors that support us and the instructors have been incredible and in going, yeah, I'll come out and teach and let me see what we can do. It's just been really great all around. So year four in is pretty incredible to see where we've started and
0: where we've come. Yeah. Do you, do you remember what your first year numbers were?
1: Uh, just uh, uh, right at a hundred people showed oh. up the first year.
0: And then Dave, is it something you're comfortable talking about? Like how many people are registered so far or? Yeah, that's fine. Um, so the first year we had
1: around 100, 110, I think. is something like that. And the second year we had about 130, I think. Last year we had almost 200 registered before the COVID shutdown started. And we gave over 80 refunds in about 30 to 40 days. And so we ended up with about 130 showing up last year. And then right now, as of last night, about 2 a.m., we have 250 people registered for the conference this year.
0: That's a tremendous uh, you know, growth for this, the conference and what you guys have started. So I think that's pretty it's, amazing. It's
1: incredible. The, the, the response all across the country this year there are guys registered from California, uh, Oregon, Montana, Rhode Island, Vermont, Florida, Texas, you know, all over the place. Exactly. Ohio, um, you know, I can name all these states like I'm a Huey Lewis song, but you know, we're we're uh, it's just in it's incredible. Like every time I look at the analytics within the Reg Fox and just see the states where people are looking at you know, that maybe they haven't registered yet, but they've checked it out. They've gone on and looked at the registration and they're looking at what classes are available still. And like, it's it's crazy. And, uh, you know, the family's growing. And that's what I tell them, you know, when they come in that morning of that keynote, I tell them, welcome to the family. Because like that place you've been looking for, those people you've been looking for to be around, those like-minded people, those those, those people with the same thoughts that you have, Um, we're here, and, uh, you know, join us, and we'll, you know, we're now family, so here's my phone number, you can text me, you know, and uh, it's just incredible, the growth, and the, I don't even know what to say, just that the the opportunities have been incredible.
0: Well, and I I think one of the things that is pretty powerful about the conference, and like, you know, I, I went out, I was lucky enough to come out last year in 2020 with our friend Joe, and we shot some content. We got to meet people, but like realizing that, like, I think conferences can get a bad rap because they get hung up in profits and the business end of it. But like, I know there has been uh, people that you have influenced in a very positive way beyond the training, beyond attending the conference. There has been there has been people, and I don't want to go too deep into the weeds with it, but there have been yeah. people that been struggling and david woodward and and beth woodward have been there to help them and like you know move on and 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 get over some some challenges in their life and that's like you don't see that at some of the bigger conferences you don't you don't have the person who's organizing it with his wife saying hey here's our number if you need something give us a call you're part of the family and that's that was the other cool thing about it was there was this family atmosphere there is nobody trying to be like oh what's up bro whatever squad wins or i don't know something stupid like that but uh, right
1: right, right. It, it, yeah, it, i mean i it's some of the conversations i've had with some of these uh i don't want to say these men but these men and women that mm-hmm. have arrived um or have come to the conference in the past like you'd be, you'd be incredible like we don't none of us know the walk each of us are making so all of us have our own things going on in our lives and when they come out, like you don't know how close some of these guys are to to really bad things. So it's like when we when we introduce that family atmosphere, I mean, some of these people are absolutely starving for someone to talk to that will listen to them or give them sound advice and, you know, not lie or steal from them. And uh, so with us trying to build something like that, it, that's been absolutely um, it's been a godsend for me. Like it's helped me with my faith and it's helped just us as like, where, what is our mission here? Where do we want to go with this thing? And when I see and hear the positive things out of this, the encouraging things, and when I'm having a tough day and I'm getting texts or calls from some of these guys that I've maybe given advice to or helped and they're saying, Hey man, are you okay? What do you need? Like it's an, it's an, it's unbelievable. It's just incredible.
3: I think it's kind of unique that you guys have been touching on the point of family, but that's quite literally in your DNA. I think that it's pretty unique that you both have a wonderful resume behind you, kind of like service and industry relevant. So kind of to get a more holistic look at this, can you talk about how you got involved in the fire service or in the medical field?
1: Okay. Um, so I talk a lot. Um, we we, uh, we both talk a lot when you put us okay. together. Um, you know, I started out, um, this kid that had no idea with what he was going to do at all with anything. And my brother talked to me and coming come to the fire station because he saw the path I was going down with, uh, all the other fun stuff when you're a freshman in college and, uh, started going to the fire station and I got hooked immediately, not because of the fires, because of the family. I was very blessed to get into a family-oriented fire station that cared about me, and uh, that meant a lot. So, um, you know, that was 24 years ago now, and um, so that journey has gone, you know, come come all the way through the volunteer and in my career at uh, my current organization, it's brought me all the way here. Um, it brought me my wife like believe it or not in a dream like it brought me every bit of this um, well, lucky, you. lucky me <laughs> so what about you
2: um so I actually have a unique kind of um journey I asked, I started out when I was a teenager at our local department and they had an explorer program at the time So I actually started out as an explorer, and I loved it. Um, I didn't want to be a career fireman, but I did like the medical side of it. And I had a lot of great, honestly, great mentors. Um, There was a woman in there named Tina. She is still working the truck today, and she was fabulous. And she was one of those um, wonderful role models in the fire service, and I think just in general, who just put her head down and did work. And she taught you um, just so much about uh, how to, to be a good person and exist outside of a, um, exist in a man's world essentially. And so, and and I say that at the time, especially, there were much, uh, many less female firefighters than there are now, but even so. um, It's a time. Did you have family or did? Was it, were you self-motivated or did you have
3: family? Have you known Tina before? What was kind of, what caused you to walk through that door? Um, You know,
2: I, I I had known, um, some of the members of the fire department for a while but i just really i don't know i kind of just took an interest my mom and dad knew some of them and i just thought oh that would be kind of cool I, I always thought that's, you. that's awesome might be you know something neat so anyway i when i was 18 um i decided that you know hey i might want to be an emt so let me do that and um i quickly i enjoyed it but i quickly learned that i didn't think that that was going to uh, suffice long term to pay my bills Um, Because, you know, we know that public servants are grossly underpaid. And anyway, so um, I ended up later on uh, going to nursing school and I loved it. Um, And it has brought me back to the fire service in that I've been privy to some research that's come out about Uh, firefighter health and safety and it's I've been able to kind of contribute to some of that and that makes me feel good because I can then contribute to um, Dave's chosen profession but as we work together and we started the conference one of the things that I think is really important is um, you know he loves his job but I I also love his job because I love the brotherhood and sisterhood. And I love what it's afforded us that family feel. And so when we first started with this conference, um, you know, he wanted to bring Chief Isaacson in. And from a nursing perspective, I mean, we do conferences, nursing does professional development. And so he started talking about this and and he was a training officer for a while. So he's telling me all these needs in the area. And man, I really wish we had this training and I wish people could hear his message because I know that they can't travel. And I really wish, and I was like, Dave, let's do it let's bring it here too huh and yeah so these guys yeah. can see it and it just grew and so it's kind of cool because I get to um still dip my toes in, in a roundabout way into the profession of uh the fire service but without being a fireman
1: yeah it's pretty awesome because uh and Rob knows uh just meeting Beth last year she's very intelligent and um I will run the worst idea by her on the planet. And she'll be like, so let's look at this again and <laughs> let's let's uh you know let's back up and let's look at this and let's organize our thoughts here and let's see where we can go. But um that's where a lot of it came from was she I would come home from training and be like, Man, I identified this problem. I have no idea what to do about it. I I showed them the essentials book, I don't know what the problem is or whatever. And uh, she'd be like, well, you know, what's the current evidence on that? And I'm like, what? You know, I got the essentials book, the old, you know, bratty book here. And that's that's the that's the standard, right? And uh, she started introducing me more into how nursing, the nursing world uh, works on things. Um, so, um, and she started introducing me to the, the current the evidence-based practice side of nursing, which is, you know, current research, current um Methodologies on things, and then I, that that really piqued my interest a lot in um, current that current methodology. Like, oh no wonder <laughs> that's not working. Adult learners don't learn that way, or that hasn't been standard practice in the fire service in twenty five years, and we haven't touched on it since you know nineteen ninety something. You know, so th- that was a really cool crossover from the nursing education into the fire service for me and that's something i really you know like i like to have those conversations with her on
0: i think that's uh pretty uh, that's i I love the crossover from like best uh experience with nursing conferences and that um evidence-based learning and medicine and stuff and like relating it over to the fire service because I think, like, there is a portion, like, I, I remember the Iowa fire flow formula, right? And mm-hmm. I was taught that and I was like, oh, wow, like, that's really, like, and I, like, it was, whoa, that was great. And then, like, I think it was, like, 10 years later, and they're like, oh, yeah, the Iowa fire flow formula. And I'm like, wait, mm-hmm. uh, hasn't there been a couple of changes? Like, there's not an update to that? Like, like, what about all this other information? And it was like, nope, we're still going to do this. And I did, So, like, I, I think that's awesome, because that's my example of of one yeah. thing that was like a dinosaur in the back of the fire room, that people were so like, we'll get out your calculator and calculate this, and that's what we're gonna have, right? Um, right. Yeah. And now, and now we're talking about gallons per second instead of gallons per minute. So, you know. yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's like we didn't even know what we didn't know. Right. Then. Like we had no idea that we didn't know what we were doing. So we had ran off this methodology of comfort forever, and that's one of the things the comforts has brought to light is. I don't bring, or we don't bring comfort training. We bring you accurate training or real training. That's a, that's beneficial. That's effective that you can take back. Like when you leave Sunday evening, when you get a fire Sunday night, when you get back, you're going to be able to immediately apply the stuff you learned this weekend, you know, in real life. And it's not going to cost you a bunch of money. It's not a gimmick. It's, it's real information that's applicable so
0: and also the networking Mm -hmm. oh my gosh that's the one thing that, like uh a lot of people fail to understand sometimes is like that ability to go somewhere but here like because of that family atmosphere the networking is that much more relevant and it's you know more uh, palpable so palpable sorry yeah, let me get my words right today. I promise, like, yeah, mark okay. the time down, I might be having a stroke. Beth, <laughs> Um I think I'm with sure that network,
3: you're to... clearly gaining momentum, and everybody wants to help. And I think that's one of the best parts about the Brotherhood, about the fire service, and about this hunger for training. But being that you guys really prioritize having the most current, up to date, accurate, evidence based information, I feel like. Sometimes there's an issue with the gatekeepers of information, everybody with their smartphone, everybody has something to say. And and until you know, then you don't really know. So like, can you guys talk on that?
1: Yeah.
2: Well, I will just say before he starts talking on that, one, (laughs) one of the things that, um, that came up, was just that, you know, when Dave first started, um, he, when he was a first uh, training officer and he started really delving into it and figuring out um, not just as he was working at Legos Arc, but as he was going out and you know visiting different departments, what they didn't know, he would come home and talk to me about it and we would talk about, he'd be like, I don't know what information is out there. I don't know where to find it or here's the information, but not everybody likes this. They want to use this. And so you, have, you do have those gatekeepers. Um, but one of the things that I think is so important as you are um, educating folks, whether it's at this conference or we're out, you know, doing in class, is showing them where to do their own, empowering them where to find this stuff. Mm-hmm. And so there we can take away the gatekeeper, right? Um, Cause knowledge is power. So we want to share the power with everybody and we want to empower them to uh, be able to do their own research and vet their own research. like is this a reliable source? Where did you find it? How old is it? That type of stuff. But the other thing is, you know, there's a lot of people that know a lot of stuff, but they don't know how to do anything with the stuff they know. And so you can know a lot of stuff, but until you know what to do with it, you don't really know anything. And so the conference and what I think it does so beautifully is it helps them to do something with what they know. So they get not only the knowledge piece behind it, but then they get to apply it. They get to go lay their hands on and not just do a skill, but work through a scenario or a situation. Because like you guys know, I mean, I'm not a firefighter, but if you go to a house fire, I'm going to guess that everyone looks a little different based on construction and content. And, you know, it, it is, and cause. And so you're you may act the same way in some ways, but you may make decisions differently based on X, Y, or Z. And that's, you know, that's using what you know. And so empowering people to not just know it and not just find the information, but like how to use it effectively. And when you go back into your department and you share it, you're sharing it in an educated way and not just I understand it, but I can like use that information and apply it and do something with it. I think that's what's most important and that's what's valuable because you can know a lot. But if you know a lot on a fire scene and you don't know what to do with what you know, it really doesn't matter. Yeah. Sorry. I don't
1: know how many times, I don't, you know, Rob <laughs> likes to pull up to fires and get out, um, you know, all of his certificates and show oh. them to the homeowner first. And That's then, provide, you know, um, I, I tell you what, this, it drives me crazy when people hold secrets for power. And uh, for years and years and years, fire service this is pretty big generalization here but i'm pretty pretty sure rob will start nodding with me that people hold power by holding knowledge from their people yes and so um one of the things this conference has done and and we're not unique in that but we i think we are doing a really good job of it is it's approachable you can go up to mo davis or you're going to be able to you know last year mike dugan Mm -hmm. uh captain dugan's walking around on the hot ground with me Um, you know, giving advice and talking with people. We took down that barrier of, well, he's the instructor. So there's no conversation here. He's spoon feeding you this data. And then you just, you know, this information and that's just tough. Like there's conversation there when Todd Edwards comes in or Jonah Smith or those guys come in and they go, Hey, we're going to have this conversation. They're not gatekeepers anymore. They're, they are full on open books I want you to take everything I've got, I hope it keeps you from getting hurt or dying, you know? And that's what I love about this. I love getting on, looking on Facebook and seeing somebody from some small rural volunteer department in Southwest Missouri, commenting on like Jonathan Brumley's daughter's birthday picture the other day. I love the conversations that are happening back and forth between the instructors and the students. And like with that, with interjecting social media in there now, that that they're not strangers. They're not this this big idolized thing that's just there to you know divvy out the you know what you're allowed to have
0: anymore. Well, so and I, and I think that like I said, having been there to watch it, it's I wrote down improvement via information because that's what you're doing. Because mm-hmm. a lot of people hold on to that that information that IP because they feel it's, it's mine. I got it. You can't have it, but. Mm-hmm. There's this um, like there was something that like Joe bought back from <clears throat> watching the mile high of the dirty dirty south, and he wasn't sure. And I, I think he reached out to uh, Jonathan Brumley, and he's like, "No, this is what we were talking about, and this is the context." And Joe's like, "Light bulb went off." And, but like you try to do that with some other people, and that's not going to happen. So you really do prevent the prevent present yeah. the information and uh yeah. and and it truly is an improvement via information because nobody's holding back their programs nobody's holding back their notes or their knowledge yeah. mm-hmm. so i, I but so I, and i just i got to watch that firsthand so it was cool
1: hey, i really like that i, I like that um but that atmosphere come to the lake it's relaxed
3: mm-hmm.
1: it's a nice atmosphere it's hot we're all gonna sweat it's it's hot you know but Everybody, you know, I try, I try to be very careful when we sit down and start looking at who we're going to bring in. And, you know, I, I always, I'm very like this year's lineup, I'm very proud of, because I feel like every one of those people are very approachable people and every one of them have something to offer.
0: Let's talk about the lineup for a little bit. Who do you have this year? Okay. So
1: keynote, uh, uh, chief Mo Davis. Um, that came out really hard there. <laughs> uh, 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 Mo Davis is coming in from Houston as our keynote, and uh, he's going to be doing a, a his a shorter version of aggressive command. In with that, so he's going to speak for a little bit from his heart, and then he's going to go into a little bit of a morning uh, aggressive command class, which is one of the classes he's best known for. Um, and for anybody that knows or doesn't know who Mo is, uh, he's got really good street credit. He's a he's a phenomenal human. And I'm really happy that he's coming. And uh, so we've got that. We've got some new classes that have never been seen before. Um, Jeremy Sanders, who's a captain at Edmond, Oklahoma. He's the crew first culture guy. He's going to be doing a class collaboration with Justin Mann. Uh, Justin Mann is actually his, I believe he's his driver or engineer. And uh, Justin is part of the woods force of lunch guys. So Lindell. Wood will be here. So there's a lot of Oklahoma presence this year. Uh, Joss Piercy and uh, Training Solutions, Zach Brown is coming up um, from Precision Fire Consulting. But then we got Todd Edwards and Jonah yeah. Smith and Jonathan Brumley, Steve Robertson's coming in uh, from Columbus. Uh, we've got Steve Kemker and the Rescue Redefined guys uh vent inner search so eric wheaton and those guys and then they're actually collaborating with uh zach slifer who's a part of hornet with jonah and he's a busy truck guy at charlotte so there's going to be some fun some fun vent inner search stuff going on um sean and pablo
3: yeah
2: coming
1: back sean duffy and uh pablo they do the build your culture guys
2: class acts those two are really yeah they're fun good guys True. Uh, josh cox uh
1: from north little rock is coming up um i feel like i'm forgetting craig oh yeah craig craig uh, craig chief haig hanover park illinois Uh, one of the greatest
2: fire chiefs ever humble man wonderful class doing stuff nobody else is doing in the country teaching stuff like that if i were a chief i'd want to know that
1: yeah, that guy's that's a secret weapon. Like if you want to be He's wonderful. You're going to be amazing as a chief
0: officer, that's your guy. So for one of the, for a lot of the people that are out there because like mm-hmm. Chief Hague's name has come up a couple times here. Um one of the awesome things about Chief Hague is he can touch on the tactics, but the tactics like he's pretty much like hey, anybody can teach you that. What he really excels at is everything else that you need to know to be a successful fire chief. All the that's stuff, right? And it's amazing uh I, I only got the chance to sit in his class for i think it was like 20 or 25 minutes but there this, the knowledge that was just passed down in that 25 yes. minute increment was phenomenal and then we had to come out to uh, sunrise beach but
1: and the main channel and then I'll to cross the main channel uh also uh chief dennis riley will be there mm-hmm. he's uh pittsburgh kansas uh chief Riley actually was a neighboring department chief and that's how i got To know him when he came from Cherry Hill. He came to Sunrise Beach, Missouri, and we were friends then. And then he moved on and then he took an opportunity in Kansas. Um, But his one of his passions, I would say his biggest passion is probably company officer strength. He is really big at creating really good company officers. So when I reached out, like, okay, I've got, if you want to learn how to be a really good fire chief, Forget the fire ground control right now, the how to be the good fire chief. Craig Haig is untouchable in that. And as far as I'm concerned, if you want to learn how to be a really, really good company officer, Dennis Riley is your guy for that. He is one of the best there is at understanding your expectations or the expectations of you by the men. He's very good at that. Um, so, like, company officer enough got some really good classes this year then we focus a lot on mentorship and culture this year so everything from sean and pablo up to jeremy sanders and justin all through there with todd any uh, jonah smith's classes zach's classes all those are focused on being good people along with being good at your craft so that's really big. Um, as I've gotten older, mentorship and passing that stuff on is getting like almost, I'm almost um, nervous about it. I feel like I'm not doing enough of it. So like, it's really important that we give these opportunities to these people these younger guys coming to this conference, like, Hey, I, I got you a mentor. Here he is. <laughs> he's only here for the weekend, but he's going to give you some ideas on what to look for. And, uh, so just all those things wrapped up or, or, Oh, <laughs> I don't know. I forgot Dennis Lagier, mm-hmm. uh, Who will and be here? and the water thieves are going to be here. So, um, you know, how do you forget Dennis? Um, but I did, <laughs> um, Dennis is as anybody knows, he's one of the biggest in the fire service. And I've had the opportunity, I think, to become pretty good friends with him over the last few years. And uh, we talk water nerd math a lot, and uh, that's, that's always fun. Um, so we're setting up a two-hot site location where you'll have eight hours of hot class after the four-hour Friday class. So you'll have a four-hour classroom with him. And then you'll have a whole eight hour, either Saturday or eight hours on Sunday, where you spend half the day drafting with the water thieves, or you spend half the day on hydrants with Dennis. So no matter where you're at as an engineer, hes they're going to blow your mind. I mean, these guys, the water thieves, any of those guys are I mean they're incredible the stuff they're doing with drafting and maximizing hydrants and the stuff the work that Dennis has done um, he has single-handedly been so persistent in like we've got to improve our hose construction and our and our nozzles and we've got to make improvements here like that's been a fight he's been pushing for years and we're, we, we're getting just we're getting to see it firsthand and uh, I just, I'm so excited to see that class play out. It's this one, the pump panel revolution, it's not done anywhere else. It is a custom-made class for this conference. So that is exciting. They've worked together before, but it won't be anything like what they're doing here.
0: Well, and I I think kind of of unique with Revolutionary Fair Tactics Lake is the collaboration that does happen between Mm -hmm. different people from across the country. I, I have not seen that play out so well. So I think that's my hats off to the both of you for being able to be the ringmasters to orchestrate that because that is, a lot of this stuff can be like herding cats from time to time. So the fact yeah, that you know, guys- it's
1: <laughs> And it's not always easy. Um, and it's not always something useful. Like I've thrown out ideas and the guys have been like, yeah, um, that may not be a good idea, you know? Hey, and that's okay. Cause I can't see everything, right? So them being honest with me is, is great. So I can go, okay, all right. Well, what about this idea? So like the one thing about the conference with it kind of being our thing and and we can do what we want, you know, as far as if we've got imagination, like there's no more box, there's no more check the box training. So if I want to try say, Hey, let's create the most crazy awesomest drafting class you've ever seen, then let's do that.
2: And, i think it know. speaks to um again the instructors believing in mm-hmm. the mission of the conference and what we're trying to do and so they have a willingness to collaborate and cooperate and instead of being the gatekeeper of information they're willing to open up and collaborate with one another to produce something that is really really great and fantastic mm-hmm. for um, the firefighters that attend and so it's wonderful. It's great. Dave has a lot of these great ideas for collaboration, but ultimately, you know, it's the instructors too, that make it happen and say, yeah, let's do it. Let's work together. Let's make this something really awesome.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And that's, you know, that's a, it's really fun. Those conversations and the emails or text threads get going and it's like, what about this? What about that? You know, and, and, and just to see like the instructors light up, you know, like they're still loving it, you know, they're out there and, they're still loving the, you know, fresh ideas that come in and the different uh, different things. So I, it's fun. I like that. I like that about us. There's the, there's the cat.
3: I think it's cool that you were talking about mentorship and culture and just keeping the passion alive, whether it's the person who it's their first day on the firegrounds or the senior man. And you said something earlier about the people who know a lot of stuff, but not know what to do about that. And I feel like that's so many people who want to go to these conferences. It's like, that's your time to learn and your time to experience. And I feel like a lot of those people will just soak up the information and then what after that. So I think that having it from the senior level right down to the low guy on the totem pole, Mm. the culture instilled is huge. And that's what makes the lesson so much more impactful.
2: I agree. And I think overall, what we want the, the culture of, or the culture of the conference to be, spit those words out, um, is really that invitation to learn and to learn how to use what you're learning, uh, you know, and to really apply it and to be a decision maker, um, ultimately to move really from a skills-based robotic um, way of thinking to a more um critical decision-making, um, situational reasoning, if you will. Um, in nursing, we call it clinical reasoning and clinical judgment. And so it's the same concept applied to the fire service. And um, the, the whole culture and purpose of the conference is really just to empower people to be able to do that, uh, to make sound decisions when they're on the fire ground, um, and to be able to work in a way that is safe for them but ultimately that is going to be effective in saving lives and property
3: you're pretty good you say you're not a firefighter but you got all the yeah. key points down huh
0: yeah I, I was just going to say heather i'm like what, that just summed up what's you know some people would say is wrong in some aspects of the fire service but even you know if you, you are campaigning for for us to not not let that happen and i think that's good and it's one of the one of the reasons why the conference has its name it is, it is a revolution of sorts. So that's right. I mean, it was we were told. Uh, Don't you think revolution seems a
1: little bit bold? And I went, yeah. yeah.
3: That's the whole point, isn't it?
1: Like, what else? Right. Like we're not like this is a, a welcome to the mediocre going to do okay conference of at the lake. like like you no we're we're going to be bold on this and uh, at the end of the day like I have a fantastic wife that supports what I believe and. I believe we need to do a better job as a in the fire service right now. So, like that, all these people are coming together to help make this work.
3: That's it's awesome. phenomenal,
1: you know? So,
3: and you I love kind it. of draw the line between so you have Revolutionary Fire Tactics at the lake, that's the conference. And then you also have um, One Warrior LLC. And just to put the spotlight on you, Beth, you had a quote. I was looking at your Facebook page. And it kind of just puts a bow on this whole conversation. It's not what you know, but what you do with what you know. And I feel like that totally hits on everything we just talked about. So kind of,
2: can you draw the parallel between your
1: two
2: projects here? Um, yes, and and full disclosure, I don't know where that quote quote came from. It's not. It doesn't belong to me. Um, but David says I'm the first person he I've heard, never it heard it from. So heard it
1: first now. Um, I know everything.
2: But we decided that you know we would start one warrior uh, together as we were getting the conference going. And one warrior is ours. Um, and it's really going along with the conference mission. It is. Uh, our business that we go in and educate and evaluate um, different departments and help them to get to exactly what we've been talking about using what you know and if you're an educator or a training officer in your department we're coming in and telling you how do you help train people to that level not just so that you feed them information out of a book how do you help them to really apply it And use it. How do you get them to a higher level of thinking? And so we do this together. We develop classes together. We teach together. Um, and it is, it's I think really great how the mission of One Warrior, uh, which is to raise the bar and to empower people, is um, hand in hand with what we do at the conference. And David and I are really fortunate that um, we've been able to do this together. Uh, I feel really blessed that we have been given a platform to share, um, because ultimately at the end of the day, um, when I look at the fire service and Dave's love for the fire service and what he does, I want to empower others because that affects him and I want to empower and uplift him because that affects others. And, you know, um, us sharing together and being able to do this together is just a real blessing. That's awesome. I think that
3: the message totally parallels one another and the fact that you guys are able to teach. Like, do you go throughout the Midwest? Is this kind of your working side hustle? What's like a day (laughs) in the life?
1: So uh, I've had the opportunity, I got to go down and teach at the inaugural LIFT conference in uh, Baton Rouge, um, St. George Fire Department. And I've had the opportunity to go down to Carlos Fire Department in Louisiana. And then uh, Wichita Hot, a couple other places. But I kind of ended up out on my own. And, I, and the class that we had worked together to build, it's been a really successful class, like that first pilot, like first class. And I got to the point where I was like, this isn't, I want my wife with me when I do this class. Because you see how, How passionate she is and how well she articulates things. Like, this is a thing, we're doing this together. I don't wanna do this where I just go, you know, do this and she sits in the back and writes the checks for me or, you know, pays the bills or, you know, whatever. Like, this is a, this is a, you know, I say equally yoked thing. Like, this is a thing, we're doing this together. So I told her a while back, I was like, I wanna do this class with you and i want to do other classes with you because like this lady can teach (laughs) like she's amazing and uh i and i i'm okay so like between the two of us we equal out to pretty mediocre and uh but then so like we've got the opportunity we're going to be teaching in kansas in june at the uh labette Mm -hmm. community college fire school and it's a regional fire school that um We actually are blessed to do two classroom sessions and an extrication hot class through one warrior there. So she's going to be teaching, we're rewriting that class and like, we're going to be doing that one together now. And so I'm pretty excited to see like see where that goes because it, it felt like I the I, class was always received well it's missing something it's missing her so
2: so for now we're both <laughs> um, working you know full-time and doing the conference and then we go out during the year as we're not yeah. working and do various conferences and and go to he's been some individual departments as well mm-hmm. to do evaluations and things like that of their training and so we just kind of right now, it's kind of a side hustle, if you will, yeah, like we're, side we're side. Um, fitting it in where we can. I would love to see that take off. Um, but, you know, we'll see. We're both really, really busy. So
3: <laughs> I think that's such a fun dynamic, how you're able to acknowledge each other's like different strengths. Do you think that, say, when you, David, let like, go and you're training officer, do you kind of? wear the hats that you learn from your wife. I think that it's just interesting. How do you take these mm-hmm. kind of interpersonal relationships and bring them into other areas of life?
1: Sure. I, I tell you what, there are times I would resist it. Like she'd be like, Hey, you know, have you tried this or this adult learning method? Or have you done Oh, you're not, you're not, you know, she'd be like, well, are you, are you testing them on the application level of learning? And I'm like the wood, you know, um, you know, I, it, it, it raised my game on some things because I just, um, but I, it definitely put me in my, out of my comfort zone uh, for a little bit, just to realize that, um, you know, I, I don't know how to explain this, but I didn't always do a really good job of, you li- do a very good job of listening. And I, as of the last couple of years, I've finally been like, this is good advice. She's not giving me this advice because she wants to tell me what to do. She's given me this advice because she's super smart and she wants me to be successful at the stuff I do. Like it's my wife. It's not hey, groundbreaking
3: you know, stuff, right?
1: <laughs> like then I started kind of getting, and then you kind of get into that. Okay. I'm out here now. And you're, you're kind of, you know, you're scared sometimes. And then you're like, Oh, okay. This is okay. This is okay. And now I'm like, what else you got? What else?
3: Tell me. I feel like that has so much to do with like growing curiosity. That discomfort is totally eased by just you staying interested in what you have to offer. And you've talked about adult learning ways of like absorbing the information. Can you touch on that more? Like, what do you mean by the different adult learning styles?
1: i'm not very good at this <laughs>
3: take it away beth
1: <laughs> you, you can't you can't um teach somebody at this level and expect them to perform up at this level
3: old and dog I, new tricks
1: and i can't teach and i can't have them just read the chapter and then ex- and expect anything useful out of that so we've got to do ways to engage them differently And with adults, you've got to make sure, like, I can't have them just sit in a class on their butts for four hours. Maybe we got to get up and move around and do other activities. Maybe we've got to, you know, go out to the bay and do something. We've got to do it. We've got to do it differently. We can't just spoon sit and spoon feed that information to them and expect that to just be it. But part of it, too, was I I struggled with... um, personal responsibility within that too like one of the biggest things that she helped me understand was like at the end of the day knowledge is sometimes their personal responsibility like they need to they need to prepare some for that they need to do some reading ahead of time you know so maybe flip the classroom a little bit on hey guys we're going to do this next week this week, read about this. And then we'll come in next week and we'll do some skills practices and put it into application in like scenarios. And we'll do more, more with that.
3: Kind of connecting the dots that totally just came full circle to what you were saying about people having all this noise on social media and everybody thinking they have the best idea possible. It's like empowering people to decipher between all that and figure out what's going to work for them.
2: Right. And if you're, you know, I think with, and I think this could apply to many professions. Um, I think when you teach somebody something, they have to see the value in what you're teaching them, mm-hmm. and it has to be relatable and usable and valuable they have to find value in it. and. I think that's particularly, um, you know, with adult learners in general, again, no matter what career path, it's gotta be applicable to them. They have to value what you're teaching them. And the other thing of course is giving them credit for what they can do and what they know. There's no sense in reading from a PowerPoint and, you know, um, or re-reading a textbook. Like nobody finds value in that really, truly. I'm gonna give you credit for what you can do. You can go read that on your own. You know that you're fire one and two, you know, you have these certifications, so here is your level. Let's start and like build on that and do something else with that and give you the tools you need um, that you don't have to equip you to do the other things that you need to do or to make the decisions you need to make. So we're not wasting time filling your head with knowledge, because honestly there's some of it you should have. If it's new knowledge, wonderful, we'll present that to you. But if it's base Mm -hmm. knowledge or there's something you should be responsible for, you're as an adult learner, you are responsible for that. You own that. Um, And no matter what career you're in, there's a level of professionalism and knowledge and skill you're expected to have. And that's on the learner, that's personal responsibility. And my job as an educator in the nursing field, at least, is I'm going to take and I'm going to help you use it. I'm going to take and help you apply it to various scenarios. Just like we were talking about earlier um, and make those sound judgments that you need to make that are effective um, so that, you know, you're not a robot. You don't just function under protocol and never leave. Yes, we have protocols, but you know what? There are times that a situation calls for something different. And so helping folks as we're educating them, as we're training them to, to be able to function in various situations and not look everything, step one, step two, step three, but what makes sense here? What is safe? What is important for me to do? What is my priority? Um, And helping them just make those sound situational judgments.
3: I think that totally individualizes the learning. And I think that's very logical for adult learning and everything, kind of touching upon being tactful with your time and not just expecting people to want the PowerPoint or the textbook read back to them. Mm -hmm. There's kind of a difference between like war stories in the fire service and you hear that and you roll your eyes. It's like, nobody wants to hear about some old fire that happened so long ago and you were a big hero versus like the tailboard Uh conversations of the fire service, which I feel like is so fundamental to the culture Like you gotta kind of walk that line where you still want to get people interested, get them passionate, but also so much of that is internalized. And if you don't have the agency to go forth with it, then you're lost.
1: That old salty dog that's sitting in the bay that everybody avoids. He might be at the top view on the Zoom right now. That guy up there, I don't know. Um, Could be Rob, could be anybody. Um, They have a lot to offer. They have a lot of wisdom and experience to pass on those some of those war stories are just war stories and some of that but befriending that guy and 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 learning taking the time and letting that person you know teach you something you know that that when 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 powerpoint became this is my little rant but when powerpoint became a thing in the fire service Right. Remember that in the 90s, Rob, everything would like, I'm going to make it zoom in from the left and i the words flash. And now I can put every word I need for training on the PowerPoint.
3: We still use some of those PowerPoints.
1: Right. So the PowerPoints full of a thousand words and I don't have to prepare now for training because I'm just going to read the slides to you while you read the slides and you do nothing with it. Right? Do you get where I'm going with that? As soon as that happened, the senior man sat down in a chair and started drinking coffee and quit paying attention. And we stopped using the wisdom of these old road dogs that had been there and done that on that stuff. So the guy that had literally thrown ladders for the last 25 years on the fire department isn't teaching the ladders class because the kid that knew how to make the PowerPoint and put all the information in one PowerPoint um, is teaching ladders with zero application experience or real world world experience with it. I fell for it too. I thought because I was a young instructor and I knew how to use the new, the new stuff that I read the slides and now I'm an expert at whatever. And that's a train wreck. And so we've got to bring back that, that wisdom and, and that experience of those people that have been there and done that. We've got to figure out how to get that back to the forefront of that education and get those get that stuff shared to the next people so so
3: much of the fire services in oral history just time after time and i think that evidence-based research is definitely the forward-moving progress but the two have to coexist i totally agree with what you're saying
0: well and because there's a point in time where somebody's going to question that evidence-based learning but then and that's where it's so and i say that's where it's so important because that's where the the, um, the senior firefighters come out and they say, well, no, you know, especially the good ones, you know, and they said, so, like, I, I remember this incident back in this date and the information that you're talking about makes complete sense because now this light bulb just went off of what happened mm-hmm. in that fire and it makes perfect sense now. And right. we're lucky that we didn't die. Or yeah. something and so, you know, I, I think it's a great, it's a great a great point and uh yeah i just thank god heather's here tonight because she's uh, she's killing it so <laughs> she
2: is you know one of the Thanks things about that. evidence-based practice that i find really interesting um as heather was talking about you know using evidence-based practice coupled with experience is one of the things that dave and i kind of teach in our class but the fire service itself um, doesn't have as much research as some of the other professions and it's starting to and Chief Haig and I had a conversation about this a couple years ago because as I was reviewing some research I'm like you know looking through all these journals and I'm like I can't find anything and he said you know Beth the fire service is about 20 years behind some of the other professions as far as the amount of research that's coming out. So we're getting more and more and more that is starting to come out and and more and more studies that are coming out. And there's been several that have been gone for, or going on for several years, but the amount of research is starting to finally increase. And that's an awesome thing as um, you know, you talk about evidence-based practice, but going back to the use of evidence-based practice and experience, um, just to mention really quick, one of the things that we talk about, and I, I think this is important to the fire service in general, in nursing, there is a theorist named Dr. Patricia Benner. And I mention her because she has a theory or a theory called novice to expert. And her theory talks about the progression of a nurse from novice to the expert. And The amount of time it takes and how a novice acts and they progress to a novice and then more advanced and competent and proficient and expert, but I mention that because an expert, she says, um, takes experience and knowledge and application and puts them together to make decisions about situations that are new that they've never come across. So it's not just evidence-based practice and knowledge, but it is that experience from every past, you know, um, in the case of nurses, every past patient that they've seen. But in the case of firemen, every emergency that they went to, every fire, you know, every extrication accident, and they draw upon the experience plus the evidence-based practice to make those sound clinical judgment. And I think that is so important. It's not, it is the evidence-based practice, but it's coupled with experience so that you have the best of both worlds going into a situation so that you don't have that one track mind you're listening to what? what is my gut telling me? What is my experience telling me? And what do I know evidence-based practice does so that I can make a decision about what is best on this scene?
3: I think that's super interesting that you bring it up because experience and knowledge, that's the key to be a successful firefighter. I feel like so many people, whether you're stuck in a slow department, you might lack on that experience or say you're from a very busy department, but you just don't have anyone, no senior man to help train you. Right it's kind of the perfect storm has to come together to get that experience. But just you touched upon the perception and so many people see healthcare professionals as a field of like STEM. Yet it's interesting. I think that the general perception of most firefighters is more of like a blue collar labor. And really like there is quite a lot of science and engineering. If you study it at a higher level, it's fire engineering. It's fire science. There's a lot of chemistry and just kind of that perception shift might be holding back the fire service. I mean, I'm speculating on that, but it's just there is so much more research to pull from in the medical field.
2: Well, and I think um, in general, you know, as you're talking about like the perception of the fire service, when David, sorry, I'm talking with my hands. Um, when David and I were first kind of talking about this, and he's talking about training, and he's talking about how training is done, um, so much of it was skill-focused, and, and, you know, Dave made the comment to me several times, I'm in a, we're in a paramilitary organization, so, you know, this is what you do, and this is how you function, and, and that's not a bad thing. You obviously have a chain of command, and you have folks that are in control of the scene for a reason, but it is, I think, and, and this is just a generalization, but I think maybe several departments or several people, um, individuals got in the habit of, well, if I'm not told to do that, I'm just not going to do anything. I'm not going to make any decision unless it's made for me. And so it became this, this skill. Like lots of people started viewing it as a more skill-based versus the science that we're talking about, but you're right. It's so much more. There's so much incredible versatility um, in the fire service. Uh, it is It is chemistry. It is engineering. It is everything healthcare involved as well. There's so much to it. It's so rich um, in what it is, and there's tons of different aspects of the fire service. I think that people just don't even realize are there or are in need or uh, going to be in need in the
0: future. Well, and I think that in some ways, our, I don't say the old way of training, but like let's just call it that for right now, it, it went very skill-based and it was taught in a skill-based manner that like, I remember like whether it was essential firefighting when I was very young in New York to the basic intermediate advanced series that they did to firefighter one and firefighter two, every one of these classes talks about a team and a leader, and there's gonna be four of us for the boss, and there's gonna be these orders. But the reality is, like, we're gonna show up at a fire, and I'm not going to be supervised. Like, Dave's gonna be the officer, Uh, Heather's gonna be driving, I'm gonna be the back step firefighter, and I'm gonna be stretching that line to the front door until, you know, unless otherwise told, Um, And I'm going to be going in that door. And I know that eventually Dave's going to catch up with me as the officer and Heather's going to be sending me water. And then probably when all that's done, if nobody else is showing up or the engine's still out, like she's going to start grabbing a ground ladder to throw a ground ladder because, you know, there's other skills that have to be done. And that's a dynamic firefighter that this day and age really demands. And I think it's always demanded it rather, but like you talked about that Mm -hmm. skills-based service that we built up and like the, bringing it back to the PowerPoint and just clicking along. And now like, you know, we're, we're realizing this. So yeah, that's, yeah, that's, that's my yeah, and I don't
2: mean to step on any toes. I think the fire service is incredible um, and skills. Well, skills are needed. Skills are important. So I don't mean to, um, I don't mean that as offensive. I, no, I just, it is an observation that, yeah. you know, if, if you aren't the officer, or if you weren't the officer, you didn't make a decision and, and you didn't do anything outside of what you were yeah. directed to do. And it's really not that way anymore. And I think it has to be different as materials change, um, as you know, whether it's construction or materials in the home or whether it's metals on a vehicle, whatever it is, like, they react differently. Fire burns hotter, it burns faster, those type of things. So you have to account for that and you can't wait all the time for somebody to go, okay, I need you to get this off the truck and do X, Y, or Z. You know, it has to be um, it has to be good decision making by everybody on on the fire ground or the scene of the emergency.
1: I want, like, if I'm gonna be running a scene or if I'm going to ride in as the officer on the scene, and it, maybe this is just me, but i got a feeling Rob's going to agree with me. I want to just release the hounds mm-hmm. on that fi- on that fire. Yeah. I don't want to have to like, okay, um, you know, Beth, when we get there, I need you to put on your SCBA and we're going to stretch the pre-connect to the, you know, front door. And we're going to, I don't want that. I want my firefighters to be able to operate with freedom of like, hey hey, Cap or hey Chief, this was the best decision at the time because of these factors. I didn't stretch the line. I went for the window in the VES because they said the kid was right there and they sleep with their bedroom doors closed. Then, okay, now you, now I know why you didn't follow the standard of, hey, you should pull a line. So who can, can pull the line? You know can the driver pull the line and get it charged you know while the other guy we need to have those dynamics on a fire scene i need the captains to be able to you know to release the cuffs of their men and women to make good decisions i need the captains to be able to make good decisions i need the chiefs to trust their captains and their men to make good and women to make good decisions like we we cannot live in a box well the, uh, the promotional exam said in the SOG, we do a 360, and we do all these things. And like, hey, you didn't do your 360. How come? Well, I VESed a window, and we saved a kid. Well, but you didn't do your 360. You know, like, we've got to be able to live in a world, because we're getting handed, you know, crap sandwiches regularly out here in real life world. Right. And, you know, so, like, why are we not teaching our firefighters to handle the sandwiches? Like, don't eat that. It's bad. It's crap. <laughs> so I just, you know, it's it's so important. And it wraps right back to the conference and why we're working so hard to bring in good decision makers and good good people to teach real life methodology that when they leave and they go back to their department, they're free. They, they, they're at least free to start the idea exchange with where they work. They might still be handcuffed. But I think
3: even that kind of debrief, whether you do it verbally or not, what you said about why did you throw the ladder rather than do your size up that kind of conversation is so important to have, especially with the younger people. And I'm speaking as a younger person myself who might not know the best way to do everything. So much of what you do is just kind of instinctual. You go to all those trainings, you go to the conferences. But in the moment, are you really thinking like, yeah, you're processing it so fast that it just seems like the right thing to do. So, kind of taking that second and just yeah. unpacking everything that went down, I think is super helpful.
1: I always tell my guys, if you can justify why you made the choice, if you can go, "Hey, you know, Woodward, I did this because X, Y, Z led me to think I needed to do this instead of this." It's fine. Okay, cool. Hey, next time, maybe consider this or can good job. What a great job you did. Like, congratulations. Like, this is awesome that you made that decision off that. Um, but if you stand there and go, I don't know, you know, I don't know. I, I just didn't know what to do. That's different. Like, right. Like the expectation of our performance should be, I I can just, you know, I can justify my choices. Um, so we shouldn't lock our people down to where they're afraid to make those choices.
0: and And I think it's the responsibility of leadership. so I, like myself as a as a company officer, go get them. Um, as my my group, I have that like when the parking brake hits, that is me letting go of the leash, right? And mm-hmm. I tell them that like they are like we have trained for this moment, like we have this like first five minutes thing is what we call it, but like, and it's this loose understanding of what we're going to do and what we're going to get out and, or, and get done and get accomplished. But I always tell them, like, if you make a decision and it is the wrong one and it's a mistake, like we will talk about it, but I will not vilify you Mm -hmm. for that because they have to be able to know that it's okay to make mistakes. Yes. I think Mm -hmm. there's a lot of times where people will are so afraid of the mistake that they get stuck in that OODA loop where they're not going to make the decision. Yes. What happens if this is the wrong thing? And I Mm -hmm. even tell them like to the, And and I don't know if this is going too far as a boss, but I always say, like, if you make a decision and you are not in my presence or I am not present there and you have to make that decision, I will stand behind you or I will stand with you because the responsibility comes down to me and, and, you know, ultimately as a company officer. But like, I'm not going I I would rather have them do something, do the do the right thing or do the wrong thing. But the one thing I don't want them to do is nothing. That's right. You know, so. thousand percent something to follow that up with that'd
3: be great ladies well i'm thinking just kind of that like autonomy that make a decision and sometimes i think i'm gonna butcher it but there's like some psychological principle like if you have more than three choices you're going to be paralyzed it's like if you have a million and one options in front of you it's so much harder to make a choice whereas if you know a couple good things might be a path like okay, like I might not know how to get from A to D, but if I can get from A to B to C to D, it's much much easier. And I think that in training, it's like, okay, ultimately you want to put the fire out, but there's a million and one little things that you need to do before that happens. And if you do it tactfully and artfully, you can do a lot more help too, whether it's a homeowner or your team or yourself.
0: Yeah.
2: I think too, the leadership Um, like Rob was talking about, one of the things that leadership can do that is that will facilitate the progression of somebody from that novice level green, you know, never done this before, brand new, to the expert is, is sitting down and talking about those things and you know, what did you learn from this? You know, what, what went well that you would take to the next situation? You know, what things would you want to change if you could, if you could go back and do it again? But that reflection is so important because it allows you not to beat yourself up, but to go, man, I, I, that was a, that was a great decision. I'm, that's something I'm going to store and, you know, do again later, or, you know what, this was okay, but if I could change it, I would do XYZ. And that is dipping into that experience, plus the knowledge that you have to really help you grow. And a leadership can do that. And if if it's done well, it really is a great, it's a great mentorship technique but it really facilitates the growth, I think, of your people as a whole, because it does allow them to reflect. It makes them take responsibility for things that didn't go well, but it also allows for that discussion and some talk about, you know, if I were making that decision, here's kind of what i might have done so if rob um, is riding the seat on the truck and you know you make a decision and he says okay that's okay here's something else to think about and he has a global picture which when you look at novice to expert um, an expert has a more global picture um, you know and they see an overall vision where a novice tends to be tunnel visioned on this I see this uh issue I need to address this issue and so um I that's you know that's what I need to deal with and so just having that other perspective it's so valuable uh and and I think it just helps grow your people
3: kind of that just made me think about um you were saying that one of the biggest lessons you've learned and you were like, I kind of even feel awkward about it, is learning to listen. You would expect running a conference, you're the one up on stage, you should always know the next thing to say and be kind of like this ringleader. But I think that just learning how to listen is just as important as engaging in those conversations and almost putting yourself into the seat of an educator is something that helps me. And again, I'm a junior guy, I'll be the first to say that I don't have all that much experience. So a lot of times if there is, some high stress event or something it's like you almost black out you do what muscle memory tells you to and then at the end you're like okay now now I can breathe now what just happened but I think that being somebody who's looking at it as like how can I teach how can I learn that makes me much more attentive to detail even so my younger brother's a junior member he's five years younger than me and even though I'm still pretty young myself it's like okay if I was going to dumb this down well not dumb it down but explain this to somebody else then I'm so much more aware of what I'm saying, what I'm doing, all those things. So it's kind of like listening and teaching are right on the same page.
2: Absolutely, I think too that comes in that goes circles right back to what we were talking about with training, about training people at an application level, so that when you get to those situations, you have pre thought out those scenarios. You have already went through that. You've already practiced that, and it's not just a "This is the first time I'm seeing it, and I'm going to use these skills." It's a I've walked through this in my mind. We have done this. We have used this information on this, this, and this. So I can take that information. I know, okay, what did we do that day? You know, and start thinking about that. Um, and the one of the things that I, I tell my students and Heather, I, I don't wanna offer this as advice necessarily because I'm not in the fire service, but one of the things that I um, would kind of maybe just encourage you to do or think about doing and you can take it or leave it is, um, When I take my students into the hospital for clinical, one of the things that I ask them to do is based on the scenario or the situation with the patient, think about two ways in which the patient could decline. And the same could be said for a scenario. You're on your way to a fire. You're on your way to a car accident. You're on your way to a medical call, whatever. And based on what you know about that, what two things could potentially go wrong or cause this scenario to deteriorate, how would you know that that's happening and what are top two things you're gonna do about it? Because if you anticipate like that, that anticipatory thinking helps you at the very least to be prepared so that if you encounter something like that and it's not, it's going downhill, things aren't going the way you are thinking, at least you've had the forethought to think ahead. We can't anticipate everything. It may be completely different than what you thought it would be, um, but I find that 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 creates that heads up thinking. If this situation is gonna decline based on what I know about it, know about it so far what might that look like how would I recognize the decline what am I going to see that tells me that's happening and then what could I do about it immediately because the body doesn't go where the mind hasn't been right so if the mind's been there then that helps me in those moments because I've pre-thought that out doesn't mean that I'm not going to have a small moment where I have to go back get your poop in a group right stop and think about it but if I've pre-thought it I'm not trying to to think brand new thoughts when my adrenaline is sky high because my mind has already been there so my body can go too.
0: Mental visualization is a huge huge thing and that other profession that I have outside of the fire department I talk about that a lot because I always say like we want to avoid the freeze in a violent encounter because so many people like I mean Clint Smith. Uh, talked about it in one of the videos because he said like most people they've just never been punched in the face and like you you hit them in the face and it just stuns them they're like they don't know what to do and like i I tell all my students when i'm in that world like you have to you have to visualize what's going to happen so you can react to the threat and like it doesn't mean you have to smoke anybody or anything like that but just getting there so you get off the x and you are not a target anymore Mm-hmm. and you start doing some kind of proactive action. And it's mental visualization is a huge point. And I think we don't talk about it enough in the fire service or mm-hmm. just in, in anything that's going to have a um, adrenaline dumps type scenario where our fight or flight could be possibly engaged. So it's a excellent point. Um, we've been going for a little bit over an hour. Um, so one of the things that I wanted to ask the two of you, because this conference... And you know, one warrior, revolutionary fire tactics, and the Woodward family. Um, and it's pretty. I, this is a unique opportunity for me because I we don't typically get you know a couple to interview on National Fire Radio. But Beth, for yourself, what is what are uh, if like, you had to pick one or two things that you are proud of David for in relation to this conference or anything else, what would it be?
3: This is couples therapy for yeah. free. Thanks, Robert.
0: <laughs> Do you guys hear the
1: eight-year-old getting mad at us? By the way, can you guys hear any of that? I, I, I saw um, your face like...
2: I know. He was in here like shaking a bag. We were like...
1: like the kid came up with a giant bag of chocolate chips that I didn't even know we had. And he was like, can I have this whole bag? <laughs> um,
2: I think, you know, if there are two things that, I, that I'm most proud of David for, I think one would be... Um, his passion for people and the fire service and sharing that in such a public way. Um, if you don't know my husband, if you're watching and you don't know my husband, he's a softie. Um, and he is one of those guys who, uh, cares about what other people think. Um, not, everybody. I mean, he, but, but he values the opinion of those he respects and he, he wants people to see him in a positive light because he wants to be that, um, the positive mentor, somebody who makes a positive impact on the fire service. And so really proud of him for stepping out there and sharing his passion and being so approachable. Um, I've never seen somebody who can network like he can, I'm serious. Um, and just be so, Hey, how you doing? And, and so friendly and welcoming and, and available to people. Um, he's he's just been really great at that. People call and be like, hey, do you have a minute to talk? I've got something on my mind. And sometimes, you know, it's just a quick question and sometimes it's more serious. Um, and the other thing that I think I'm really proud of David for is very unashamedly sharing um, his faith. We don't believe that anything happens by accident. I believe 100% uh, that God put us where we were supposed to be and has been really great um, to give us a voice and give David a voice um, and a way to share his faith. Um, It's not in your face, but it is, you know, we've had, plenty of people call and, and talk to David about different things. And I just truly believe the people we've met um, and the experiences we've had have been because they are ordained for us. Um, I believe God has just do- totally done some amazing things. And so um, I'm proud that Dave is not afraid to share his faith if people ask him about it. Um, that just makes my heart really happy.
0: Oh, <laughs> thank you for sharing that method. That's, means a lot. David, this is your time to shine. All right. So I can't just do two things. No, uh, <laughs> you so don't have to put a number
1: on it. I, I will tell you this. like I have never met a more amazing person. Uh, I'll send my mama. You know, um, but awesome. Beth has um, Beth help me believe in myself that and i don't know how to explain that but if you spend your life believing that you're only as capable as folks let you be and then you meet somebody that's like hey you know what you can have your own thing too like you can be happy and you can do the things you love too not just because someone else is doing their thing over there that means you can't like this woman like, I don't know, it's made the ride or die thing the other day, uh, reference to the day, but like, she's in my corner more than, like, it, it's incredible to have someone there that is so, like, uh, so, um. I don't want to say defensive for me, but like, this woman is like, so supportive that it's not even like, it's not even a question. It's like, so... Um, it makes me want to be better. Um, she made she made me like actually start to value myself in ways I didn't know I could. and I think that was probably one of the biggest changes for me. Like I've always been blessed with the opportunity to network and talk to people and everywhere we went like we've we've been in like you know airports in Mexico and Cancun and I've known someone. you know what I mean like I always go places and know someone but to mm-hmm. actually learn that, The reason is, part of the reason God put me on this planet and gave me that ability is because I'm supposed to be sharing, sharing what I'm doing. And I didn't realize some of that until she helped me see that. So did that shine for you, Rob?
3: (laughs) (laughs) Well, you guys are cute. That was very nice.
1: (laughs) Yeah, like, I mean, I just, I just, uh, everything back to when we first met, and she said, hey, I want to go to nursing school, or I'm going to nursing school. Oh. There wasn't a, I want to go, or I'm thinking about it. She's like, I'm going to be a registered nurse, and I'm going to work in an emergency room, and this is what I'm going to do. And I was like, cool, rock home. You're, you're cute. And then uh, uh, she, she's like, what about you? What do you want to be? And I'm like, I'm an I'm EMT fireman, you know, on C-shift. Well, I mean, it doesn't get any better than C-shift, right, Rob? So... um That's great. <laughs> um, so... And then she's like, well, do you want to, you know, blah, blah, blah. I kind of want to be a paramedic, but I don't know if I'm smart enough for that or whatever. And like, she's like, what? So still I can encourage me to go to paramedic school. And then I realized like, hey, like I can do do this. Even though I've had a ton of people in my past tell me I couldn't, um, you know, you'd be surprised how many people uh, have informed me of my learning disabilities over the years, which is really interesting. um, Looking back at that over the last few years now, um, But she was like that person, like her, you know, and uh, to to go, you know what, like, I'll help you. Like, what do you need help with? And I was like, I don't know. Like, apparently it was just believing in me. Mm -hmm. Somebody, you know, somebody that believed in me. So then the training officer position came open. I, I don't know. I don't know if I can apply for that. And then here I am in the training officer position. I don't know if I can start a conference. Like, I want to do this. This sounds really cool, but I don't know what's keeping you from it you know like she's been that that encouraging light for me you know and then you know i could remember where we were at on u.s highway 54 the day she asked me about my faith and i said i don't know i i believe you know blah 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 and i can remember going i just don't know i just know that like i hopefully the some of the lives i've been able to save and touch over the years will help me and she said you know you you know works are like uh you know the the Easier to fit a camel through the eye of the, the you know, I'm going to butch, I'm butchering that really bad. But I basically, yeah. you know, I basically the deal was is the faith through Christ just what gets you into heaven, not your works. And it kind of redawned on me where I was at on all that. So, like that, she helped me square myself back away with my faith. is probably trumps all of it. So then now I know where we'll be for eternity versus just this walking around here.
0: Well and 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 one of the reasons why I like I wanted to ask ask these questions of the two of you because and, and especially in closing for this, I feel that this wraps very nicely what revolutionary fire tactics of the lake has become because the two of you are centered around this idea. You've shared this. So now for anybody who is out there listening, like come out and see this because this is like what we've just talked about, what you two have just talked about and shared is what this conference is about. Is it is an extension of your relationship, who you are as, as people and and what you're providing. And I just think that's so important. So thank you for, for trusting us with that story and and sharing that with us. Um, where can people find you guys at for Revolutionary Fire Tactics? Or okay. um, what
1: we have a website, uh, www.liketactics.com. Uh-huh. Um, we're on Facebook and Instagram, uh, for at revolutionary fire tactics at the lake, um, lake tactics at gmail.com is our email. You can text and call me five, seven, three, two, eight, zero, zero, one, six, one.
2: And don't forget to go to the one warrior page. Yes. One warrior LLC on Facebook and give us a like, if you want to, um, that's our business page just to put a quick plug in with the conference and kind of tying all the family stuff in, we do have a lot of families coming in this year. And so we're really excited to do a ladies brunch this year. There's going to be more coming out on that, but um, we think it's important. And I say ladies just to do a spouses brunch. We think it's important to involve the spouses and um, that's a network sometimes I think that's missed and they don't necessarily always get together. And so we're collaborating sorry, can't talk, with Fire Wife Life, um, which is Tracy McCart and Kathy Edwards. And they're going to come in and do a brunch with us for the ladies. So we're super excited about that. Um, we're going to have some stuff for families. We're going to put out some stuff um, for discounts for different things, venues, um, the water park there and things like that. So it, it's really family. It's just a great big family. And we're excited to be able to incorporate um not only the firefighters but their families
0: awesome well i want to thank the two of you uh, for for agreeing to do this tonight and david thank you for taking my phone call uh last year when i was like hey i heard about this uh this guy told me to call you um can i come out to your conference so thank you very much uh, this has been an awesome night heather do you got anything for for us
3: Uh, Thanks. It was wonderful to virtually meet you. Maybe we'll see what (laughs) will happen and Monday we'll meet in real life or something. Best of luck. Everybody go sign up for that conference. It sounds like they really have an all-star roster coming in. That's all I got.
0: (laughs) Well, everybody, this is Rob, National Fire Radio. Thank you for tuning in tonight with Beth and David Woodward from Revolutionary Fire Tactics of the Lake, uh, One Warrior LLC, and our co-host Heather Pruin. Thank you for joining. Fun. And I will, uh, I just, I always, I'm sorry, I always mess that up. It doesn't look
3: um, like how it's pronounced at all.
0: Yeah. Well, we'll edit that out. So you'll help me out. Uh, but anyway, thank you, everybody. That's a wrap. We will catch you guys later. Go check us out at the lakes. We're going to be out there in, uh, in July. And oh, what, what, what's the date of the conference? July 16th through the 18th. All right. We'll see you guys out at the lake. Thank you so much. Thanks. 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 Hey guys, thanks for tuning in this week and
1: listening to another episode on the National Fire Radio podcast channels. We truly appreciate the support. We thank you for taking the time out of your busy schedule to listen to our interviews,
3: our roundtables, our discussions. It means the world. Like, share, leave a comment. The more we engage, the more we can grow and push the word out and keep making this job better.